This is going to be a Hawkeye touchdown. Right through. And the Hawkeyes have stunned the Wolverines. Michigan unbeaten no more. Piling on now is Iowa as they crack the 50 mark against the mighty Buckeyes. But when his number was called, seven got six. What's up? And welcome to Spoko Radio. Represent my black heart, gold pants, SB Nation's community for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm your host, DC. With me, as always, it's Jerry Sherwin. Jerry, how's it going? Talking Croots today. Croots. Talk, talking Croots. Talking a little Crootin. With us also is the People's Champ, David Johnson. Champ, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Future studs just coming to the University of Iowa, going to dominate these other fuckers in the Big Ten. Go on to win some championships, then go on to the NFL to prosper. It's exciting times in Iowa City for the football team. It is. For everybody listening, we are talking recruiting later on in the show in a few minutes here with our fearless leader, BHGP's fearless leader, JP NIC. He's got his ears to the ground and everything recruiting, so we figured what better way to have him than talk about the recent role Iowa's been on in recruiting. But before we get to that, subscribe to the podcast wherever you guys get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at BHGP, at Dave Cray, at Jerry Sherwin, and at Shy People's Champ. Make sure you guys are interacting with us there. And uh, let's kick the show off with just a random question that's not Iowa-related whatsoever. We'll kick the outside zone off with this. What has been your guilty pleasure TV viewing choice without having any sports to turn to right now? Jer, I'll start with you. My guilty pleasure, and I've, you know, we've talked a lot before. I think we've even done this podcast, but us as like a, as a friend unit about like what we would want to do before we would die. Like what, if you, if you knew you had 30 days, what would you want to go do? What would you want to go see? And after this little guilty pleasure of mine, I've changed my where I want to go. I've been watching a lot of little people, big world. Oh boy. (laughs) And I truly madly deeply want to visit Roloff farms in Oregon more than pretty much anything else. It's basically safari whale watching in Alaska and Roloff farms because the insanity of pumpkin season at Roloff farms is just something that I, I, I absolutely want to go do. I looked it up the other day. $300 $300 for a 30-minute private tour of Roloff Farms with one of the cast members. That means Amy, the mom, Zach, the son, Matt, the father, who likes to have a couple cocktails and drive around Oregon, and he gets pulled over. All of them, quality entertainment, and uh, I just can't get enough of it. TLC, they do it right. $300 to tour a pumpkin farm? It's not just a pumpkin farm. Do you get like gifts with this three hundred dollars, <laughs> or like free booze, or like a blowjob, or something? Because three hundred dollars is ridiculous. That would be weird if you want the the blowjob part, <laughs> champ. I don't know if you've watched Little People, Big World, but I haven't in a long time. The main cast of characters are little people. Okay. Um, yes, I know that. Much of which are boys. Um, there is the <laughs> there is the nice mother who. Uh, I consider being one of the most horrible humans on the planet, but she is. Everybody else likes her. You're just not a fan. She's a mother. I don't know. I think other people hate her too, but she's also. uh, Okay. So what do you get with this $300? You get, again, you get to go on one of their little gator mobiles, you and your family and friends. Let's just say Zach Roloff gets to take you around. Zach Roloff will take you around and he'll go like this. Cause this is what they showed in yesterday's episode. They literally literally goes, Oh, that's mom's house right there. And, Oh, guys, if you look over there, that's my dad's house. And, guys, if you look over there, there's the old tire swing that me and Jeremy used to swing on. And This literally sounds like the biggest waste of $300 that I could ever Understood, but I have a plan, right? I got a follow-up. I have a plan, though. Do you want to hear my plan first? Yes. The plan is to to offer them $500 to be the last tour of the day. And I'm going to request Matt, the father who I know likes a couple cocktails. I'm going to sneak a couple flasks in with me, start buddying up to him, offer him a couple nips, and then all of a sudden we're friends. It's after hours of pumpkin season. Now it's just me and Roloff Farms getting a private tour for hours, drinking with Matt Roloff, maybe going into the pumpkins, throwing them into the shooter, playing on the pirate ship. There's lots of things that we could do at Roloff Farms. 
The problem with that plan is that you're literally adding $200 to everything that's way overpriced. I know. Can't you just bring the booze for them and still only pay $300? Only, I put in air quotes, pay $300? I, I suppose, yes, but I want to guarantee I have the last spot. So my question to you, Jerry, would you rather spend $300 to go to this pumpkin farm or would you rather go to Joe Exotic Zoo that just reopened? It's not $300 to go to the pumpkin farm. The pumpkin farm is free. It's $300 to get the private tour with the staff, with okay. the people on the show. Again, it, you're still seeing a pumpkin farm. I'm seeing the show. That's what I'm saying. I'm getting behind the scenes look at TLC's Little People Big World, which has like 20 seasons at this point. What um, state are they in? I missed that Oregon. during your description. Oh, I've never been to Oregon. See? So, so here's my plan. I'm dying in 30 days. I'm going to Africa for a two-week safari. I'm flying over to Oregon, hitting up Roloff Farms. And from there, I'm going to Alaska. Quick jump to Alaska. Can you for the please winter. include Vegas in this? Because you still have not gone there either. <laughs> yeah, I, want to, I mean, my Lord. That's true. It's just, I mean, I know I'm going to get to Vegas before I die. So You just said you only had 30 days left to live. So during those 30 days. Oh, starting right play. now? That's what I thought you meant. You said, I only had 30 days left to live. Now I'm going to go do this. All I'm saying is if you guys watch Roll Off Farms or Little People Big World Test. All right, here's the thing. Joe Exotic Zoo that just reopened up. It's $300 for a private tour of this pumpkin farm. It is $195 for a VIP behind-the-scenes tour of Joe Exotic Zoo. But not with Joe Exotic. I'm well, getting... He's in prison. Exactly. <laughs> I'm getting the actual stars of the show. To he's in prison. <laughs> You're missing the point. I get to interact with the stars of the show. You get to interact with the star of a TLC show. Uh, yeah, this that, is guilty not pleasures, not judgment zone time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see what you two yickety yaks have been watching. Well, you sports. will appreciate my guilty pleasure because that's the show because I been... already watch all these shows. Right, you but you've also you've been begging me to get into this. There's a group text between your wife, my wife, you and me for 90 Day Fiance that I don't ever watch. So I get left. I just ignore every text message that gets sent to me this way. But I am now completely enthralled in the, into 90 Day Fiance. I can't get enough of it. It just gave it another chance because there are zero sports on. And I have, I get mad with my wife's watching without me at this point. What? So nine, I've, I have not watched 90 Day Fiance. I watch a lot of that type of TV. What's the show we watch, Jerome? The, the one that's like... Sight. Married at first sight. Yeah, I'm not I even going to call these. that a guilty <laughs> pleasure because I've watched that for years. But I'm 90 Day Fiance's premise is where they literally take someone from another country and they have 90 days to marry. Well, them. they have had they've built up a relationship prior. Sometimes. Gotcha. So, so they're not just like flying over random Russian ladies to get their green cards. Correct. Or men. It's, I, mean, I know it goes both ways. So. See, it depends on whose perspective you're looking at. Because if you are the Russian girlfriend, that is precisely what you're doing. But the stupid American often gets screwed over in this situation. That sounds like a show that I might have to start Here's the deal into. about 90 Day Fiance. It. This is the greatest show on television right now, and here's why. Not only do they just have 90 Day Fiance, the original. They have 90 Day Fiance Pillow Talk. They have 90 Day Fiance What Now? 90 Day Fiance The Other Way, 90 Day Fiance Self Quarantine, which just came out. They have a spinoff of just one family called Family De Chantel. I mean, Ooh, man, there's that's it. Sounds like Married at First Sight because Married at First Sight has like the couple's couch. They have like the other ones. Now they have Married at First Sight Australia that's starting soon. It's like. Sounds very similar, so I might have to get into 90 Day Fiance. It's a good call. The before the 90 Days has been very entertaining because you actually get to see people who are getting catfished right now. And they're just completely- People are still getting catfished? They're, Champ, they're not, they're not only getting catfished, oh. they refuse to acknowledge that they're being catfished. I mean, people are so stupid I, if they're still getting catfished. We might change, like after the last dance is over and our Monday pods, we might switch this over to Sunday nights to do a 90 day fiance reaction pod because not all DC's right. There's two people getting catfished right now, a woman and a man, one by the name of Williams and one, some Russian lady that doesn't exist at all. hundred percent. These people exist. He's paid like a hundred thousand dollars just to chat with her. He doesn't have her number. He has to go. Oh on, my he has to go on a God. Service what is wrong with these website. people? Right. But then there's a guy named big Ed and big Ed doesn't have a neck because he's got some sort of issue, but his mother calls him pony and big Ed's about four foot eight. And he's trying to marry a woman from the Philippines who has bad breath, hairy legs, and lives with rats and showers with her father. Oh, 
Yeah, and this might be overshooting, but potentially an STD. Which he makes her take a test when he gets there. This is the best show on television, hands down. All right, champ, what's your guilty pleasure? Okay, so as you guys know, and as probably our listeners know, I watch a lot of this type of television. So to find a guilty pleasure is difficult. It's easy to say like Tiger King because everybody watched that. So I'm not going to go there. Right now, my guilty pleasure is I watch the challenge. So when I was watching the challenge, I saw a commercial for a new show that was coming to to MTV, and it's called Families of the Mafia. And this is my new show. That is my guilty pleasure. I absolutely love this show. There's only been, I think, five or six episodes thus far, and it's absolutely incredible. It's basically what the show is, is Karen Gravano, whose dad was Sammy the Bull Gravano, who was like a a notorious mobster. His daughter is like one of the main characters. And then it's all these like teenage, between like 18 and 22-year-old East Coast kids that just like get hammered, they fight, they swear at each other. The parents are swearing at the kids. It's just absolutely tremendous. I love it. The last episode, I texted Jerome this morning. They went to the Poconos, which is in Pennsylvania. And I sent a text this morning to Jerome asking him about the Poconos because I was so fascinated by these drunken idiots going to the Poconos, having a good time. I was like, is this a fun place to be? Is this like a, a hip spot to be? He gave me a couple answers, but right now it's Families of the Mafia. It's so tremendous. This is highly recommended, Champ? It's definitely highly recommended. It's They're quick episodes, too, because they're like an hour, but they're at MTV hours, and it's like only 40. It ends up being like 38 minutes. So what is like the most – like they don't do mob stuff anymore. They like – so the mom, Karen, who's the daughter of Sammy the Bull, has like a mob-themed pizzeria. It's called, like, I don't even remember. It's literally, like, all over the walls. There's, like, shootings of people. The, like, tablecloths are, like, newspaper clippings of, like, all the old mob stuff. Yes, they don't show, like, there's not, like, killings or anything, but they talk about, like, past stuff. They've even had Sammy the Bull on a few times. He is, like, he, like, lives in Arizona, basically, in witness protection. I'm saying, doesn't that mean he's a rat? He what he wasn't he didn't rat he like went to jail and served his time but now like can only live in Arizona they like let him out but they want he can't live anywhere else so why wouldn't they, the like, mob go just go to Arizona him. and take care of him? He's I still mean, a made man. He's still a made man, so they can't. I mean, he's there. But they talk about the shit he did. That doesn't seem to make any sense. They don't really talk about it. It's kind of insinuated. This kind of stuff he's done, like that he's killed. They did like a little brief thing where he's killed like 60 people in his life. And it's, but I mean, it's just, it's basically kind of, I used to like Jersey Shore back in the day. And now it just got ridiculous because they're all like 40 years old. So it's stupid to me. But now it's like these new young East Coast kids that are like in their 20s that are doing the same shit as the Jersey Shore people. So I find it entertaining. So wait, it's kids or it's one family or it's multiple families? It's multiple families. It's multiple families that have been that have been in within the mob and then it's their children too that are like between 18 and 23 outlets so it's mtv's version of real housewives yes pretty much but with mob families i mean real housewives in new jersey is basically a mob family yeah i need to watch real housewives in new jersey it's quality great things i mean i've people are like there's i'm still this show doesn't do it for me because really we're just centered around a pizza place now like the the worst it's not centered they've shown (laughs) the the worst thing these mob these these worst people these mob people what is this two guys a girl in a pizza place I mean, simmer down. They've literally shown the pizza place two times in six episodes. Well, that, okay, so the like, worst thing these mob families do now is burn the roof of your mouth with hot cheese? Like, this is boring. Oh, you don't like pizza? No, let's not pretend like you don't shove pizza. When did I say I was basis. anti-pizza? I said I'm anti-mob You're show. anti the show. That's fine. Keep watching your 90-day fiancé with the mail-order brides. And they're you didn't do a very good job at selling ass. me. I think I sold Roll-Off Farms better than you sold me Mob Wives. You I, definitely did I sell Roll-Off Farms. I would not pay $3 to go on the tour that you mentioned, let alone three. It's not about me going on the tour. It's about It's it about being... getting the guy drunk, and then this guy is potentially <laughs> no. driving you around in a whatever the hell tractor and he's probably going to drive you into a tree it's about guilty pleasure watching and why it's a guilty pleasure you i roll off farms is fantastic you're watching little people that have big people kids and they both got divorces are marrying big people 
I don't even need to go into it anymore. If you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. You didn't even mention any of that. What you're talking about? You yeah, mentioned just all going you to the farm. Was oh, the farm tour that typical? You to I made it about me, but there is there. Amy Roloff, the mom, is now engaged to a man that's never been married, who's got white hair, who looks like a creeper, who wears leather, puts her in leather, and puts him on the back of his motorcycle, and. The father sounds like some sick fetish. Father Roloff is now this. now banging the woman that used to run pumpkin season, and Jeez. there might have been some adultery in the pumpkin patch. But this is all on TLC, so they don't show any of this like extra stuff. Of course not. Yeah, it doesn't sound like my cup of tea. Sorry, bro. It does sound like we're gonna have to get our wives on and have Sunday night recaps of trashy reality not TV to. Once the last dance is over. The funniest thing is I watch more trashy TV than my wife and she'll tell you the same thing. That's that's I don't know if that's funny or if it's sad. No, I tell my wife I'm like, this is what's on tonight. Are you ready? We're gonna tape Vanderpump, <laughs> we're gonna watch little people first. All right. Well, on that well, note, let's shift gears completely. Let's do a 180 here and uh shift the gears to our interview with our fearless leader JP. He comes on to talk a little bit recruiting. I was been on a roll lately. If, as of recording this today, they've stolen a recruit from just outside of Scott Frost's nose, under his Scott Frost's nose. Um, and we talked to JP about what's been going right, recapping who's left on the board, where we're going to go, um, and just kind of how Iowa's been so successful recruiting. So uh, enjoy this interview, and uh, we'll wrap it up there. So go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. We are now welcomed by BHGP's fearless leader. It's JP NIC. JP, how's it going? It is going fantastic, guys. Iowa football is on a recruiting tear and uh, keeping myself from getting carpal tunnel syndrome. So it's a win. There you go. Yeah, this is why we're having you on because Iowa football is on a roll when it comes to recruiting. So we figured what better person to have on the pod to talk a little recruiting than you. And so we'll start things off at the very, very top. Give us, give us a high-level summary of the role Iowa recruiting has been on, what, what would you say, the last month, last three weeks, two weeks? How far back are we going back here? Well, on the whole, we're up to 15 commitments. So you could really go back, you know, well over a year here. But really – Preparation age feels good on the whole. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> awesome powers <laughs> reference, anybody? <laughs> Well played, Jerry. <laughs> you. Uh, but really, you know, since since the whole coronavirus pandemic shut things down, that's really when things have seemed to ramp up for uh, for Iowa football. So it, we're up to uh, what six recruits now over the last six weeks, and a couple of these weeks, you know, we're talking three, four, five recruits. Um, uh, really, in like a two week span here. Um, kind of capped today with the third wide receiver commit we've gotten in just over a week. And so uh, that's got Iowa up to sixth nationally in both rivals and two, four, seven sports. Um, and that's second in the big 10 behind only Ohio state. So that's really about as good as you could ask for, for an Iowa fan on the recruiting trail, you know, typically Kirk Ferentz classes, you're talking mid forties, mid fifties, uh, for a final recruiting ranking. So when we're looking at a top 10 class here, it's really unprecedented with one exception, and that's that 2005 class. It came in as 11th nationally at the end of the day. Um, yeah, this group may not finish quite as high, but right now in terms of kind of average star ranking, they're right on par with that 2005 class. And so um, it's just been been kind of a roller coaster ride that uh, has been nothing but fun here for the last six weeks or so. And uh, we find ourselves again – you know, in what the first week of May, really only having five or six spots left on the bus, and so the the, the staff can really focus in now on those last few guys that they want to fill up the class with. So, for those like final five or six spots that, like you mentioned, that are available on the bus seat, what maybe one or two targets if Iowa can land and bring home? Um, what keeps them in the top 10 if there if there's one or two of those types of targets? Yeah, so the, the biggest thing right now is they've really only got three positions where they don't have anybody uh, on board already. And so that's quarterback, running back, and tight end. And conveniently, the top prospects that Iowa has on the board, each of those spots are all four-star kids. So there's a, a four-star quarterback out of the Indianapolis metro area. 
Um, they've named Donovan McCulley. That's uh, kind of a dual threat player. Same high school as, as basketball player Tony Perkins. Plays, plays basketball Perkins. Um, 6'5 kid, so he's, he's long, can sling the rock. Um, would be a really, really great addition at quarterback. Something different than what we have on the roster right now. Obviously, anytime you can bring in a four-star quarterback, um, that's that's fantastic. We've, we've done that, you know, with Deuce Hogan. We've done that with Spencer Petras. And those are kind of the two guys that you think of as the, the next two after Stanley. And so if you could fill after them with another four-star kid and keep that indie pipeline going, um, that'd be a great way to keep the ball rolling in terms of um, building the class out and keeping it kind of towards the top ten. And then at running back, there's a kid named Ricky Parks out of the Tampa area teammate of uh, current defensive back Dane Belton at Tampa Jesuit High School and then transferred uh, this year to, to Gaither High School, which happens to be the same high school as Jordan Oladokun, who's the defensive back that really got this ball rolling on the big, uh, you know, kick that we've been on the last six weeks or so here um, out of Tampa Gaither. And so you got a chance to, to bring him in at, at running back. Um, again, you know, running back's a spot where Iowa kind of always finds some under-the-radar type guys, uh, three-star kids. You, you look at adding a four-star uh, out of the Tampa metro area will be a, a really big win, I think, to kind of follow along with Tyler Goodson in the backfield. And then the last one is the kind of the, the homegrown four-star kid is uh, Thomas Fedone, the tight end out of Council Bluffs. Obviously, that's kind of – you're getting over to uh, – uh, Nebraska territory there. So he, he grew up in a Husker family. Uh, but we've seen Iowa was able to pull some kids out of that area. And then, you know, we've seen today Iowa lands a, a three-star receiver in Keegan Johnson, who's a Nebraska legacy. His dad won a couple national championships for the Huskers and was able to say no. Played with Scott, Scott Frost. Frost. Right, right. And so, you know, you, you get that precedent and maybe all of a sudden it's a little bit more acceptable to say, hey, I'd like to play at tight end you as opposed to buying into what Scott Frost is selling. So you mentioned Keegan Johnson as maybe a surprise that we got him because of the whole legacy issue with Nebraska. Has there been any other uh, recruits thus far that are commitments now that uh, have surprised you uh, with, I think you said, 15 or 16 guys committed now? Has any of those uh, been big surprise for you? Yeah, so we're up to 15. I think the, the biggest surprise for me was probably the Oladokun commit. Um, like I said, he's a teammate of uh, a couple of kids that, that they're still recruiting. So Ricky Parks is a running back. Jordan Young is another defensive back that the staff's been recruiting. And both of those guys had made it up to a junior day visit in Iowa City last year. But Oladokun has never been to Iowa City. At all. So here's a kid from Tampa. Right, right. So you get a Phil Parker pull, baby. <laughs> <laughs> he has some success putting guys in the league and all of a sudden, uh, you know, people take notice, but, um, that's, that was kind of surprising to me, you know, from two aspects, the one being the kids aspect, choosing to come to Iowa, having never been there. Um, especially a kid from the South, you know, maybe not used to the cold weather and all of the, uh, preconceived notions about what it's going to be like in, you know, quote unquote, middle of nowhere here. Um, especially in the dead of winter. But the flip side of that is, is the staff usually doesn't take, commitments from guys that haven't been on campus they really like to get guys on campus uh see that they're willing to you know make the effort to get up to iowa city and then also just to see um you know what they're like in person and and, and make sure that they've made the right decision for them um it's it's really easy to commit somewhere and then back out of it if you've never been there you've never really met the coaches face to face that sort of thing so um it's kind of surprising to me that the staff actually let him commit. I think that's a sign of where we are just with the pandemic and, you know, visits aren't able to happen right now. So obviously they've, they've met with him in person before, but you know, doing a lot more stuff virtually, virtual tours of the facilities and stuff like that. Um, so that one was surprising. And then the other one I would say is, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to butcher the name, I'm sure, but David Davidkoff uh, uh, out of Illinois is a four-star offensive lineman. And, and he's one that, we thought we were kind of in a battle with Michigan for the longest time. And I think you know, anytime you say Iowa versus Michigan head to head, you know, that, that Michigan name carries some weight to it. So you get a little bit worried, but then all of a sudden we heard that maybe Michigan was kind of slowing their roll on him because Ohio state had made him a priority. 
And it's like, well, we don't win head to head against Ohio State very often unless it's in Kinnick and they forget how to cover tight ends. Um, <laughs> but they were able to secure that one even after Ohio State got involved, um, got him wrapped up before he was able to even really get into visits at Michigan and Ohio State. Um, he had planned to visit all three of those schools. We were, we were going to be the last visit, so that's always a good seat to be in for, for the Hawkeyes. But um, that one was a little surprising just to really close that, even though the, the big dogs kind of came calling for him. Back to the corner from Tampa. You said, I mean, Iowa typically doesn't let guys commit when they don't visit. Is that playing more role in the pandemic? Or maybe because he is a team manager with, an, with another target, trying to get that sway and putting that effort in saying, hey, you know, you got – there's some trust factor in knowing that he – if this running back comes with, with him, you got some familiarity with you in a new state, new city that you've never even been to before. Yeah, I think it's probably a little both, right? I mean, I think I think the staff's probably more open to things right now than they normally would be. And we've seen a little bit of a shift in that just, you know, they're, they're getting a little bit more aggressive with some of their recruiting stuff. We've seen some shifts um, as we brought in some new blood on the recruiting trail that have, I think, really helped with that. Um, but then to your point, you know, having two other targets that we're after, you know, he's friends with Dane Belton, who's on the team. So he's talked to Belton, I think, he did a uh, an interview shortly after he committed. We talked a little bit about one of the reasons he chose Iowa was seeing Dane Belton come back down there and just seeing how big he got. I mean, like, wow, if they can do that from a development standpoint, you know, Belton got on the field as a freshman, um, and that being one of the deciding factors for him was, hey, I think these guys can help me build out, build out my 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 body and get myself ready for the next level. Um, I think that that probably definitely helped uh, in terms of building that, that trust factor. And then it never hurts, like you said, to have a couple of guys that they're trying to recruit too. So maybe it gets a little bit more leeway than you might see for some other guys. So going back to the big targets that were still on the board here, out of those guys you mentioned, so um, I'm going to butcher names. So now I'm going to list names here. Quarterback, running back. <laughs> David. Quarterback, running back, tight end, those targets that are still on the board. If you had to handicap where the likelihood of, of Iowa landing one of those guys, who is who has the best odds of, of committing to the Hawkeyes? I think it's probably a toss-up between Fodone, the tight end, and Parks, the running back. So Parks is, is supposedly down to kind of a final two of Iowa and Utah. Um, and he's never, never been out to Utah. So in a situation like we find ourselves now, you know, where you, you can't take a visit. Um, I think we stand pretty good there, uh, just in terms of, we've kind of got this momentum. He's got a teammate here. He's got a former teammate already here. Um, and he's been to Iowa city. So I think, I think we've got a leg up there. Um, I mean, if I'm handicapping, I'd probably call that like 60, 40. Iowa, Utah, maybe, maybe 65, 35. Um, the longer that plays out, like the closer that probably drops to 50, 50. Um, if we get back into, you know, if he really does want to hold on, which is, he said is hold on and, and take those official visits. Um, you know, I still really like our chances, especially when you do get him back into Iowa city. I think you know, for a guy that has been up here, maybe he, he fell in love with it when he's here. Right. And then he comes back and remembers what it was like. I think that's always a good spot to be in, especially if it's on one of those big recruiting visits. So June 19th is currently the date they've got lined up right now to have basically everybody they've got committed and their top prospects on the board are all supposed to be here on the 19th. You know, that really depends on where we're at with the, the coronavirus stuff. But um, you, know, so you like your chances if you get them on campus. I think if, if this plays out to where they, they can't really do visits, you know, Iowa or Utah, you really like our chances because he's been here. And then Fedone is a guy that I think really comes down to Iowa and Nebraska. Um, and then to me, I'd say that's probably a 50, 50 one right now, given he grew up in Nebraska. Oh, come fan. on, Jonah. It's, we just saw today how that plays out. That, that's exactly where I was going, right? Is, is we're, we're the ones that are going to develop tight ends. We're the ones that are going to be the path to put you in the league. Is it just us in Nebraska, though, for him? Because didn't I read LSU and Michigan and Penn State on those guys, too? That's a little bit he's, bigger of an offer sheet than just Nebraska. He's definitely got a bigger offer sheet than that, right? But I think 
from everything I've seen, it really kind of comes down to Iowa and Nebraska. And I think, frankly, wow. I, don't, I don't know if we should be concerned about LSU anymore, right? Who cares if they're national champions? We've, we've beaten them out for two recruits here recently. So um, bring them on. I mean, all he's got to know is 13 straight Iowa tight ends that have started for this team have made the pros. I mean, that's the, that's the only recruiting thing you need to tell them is, hey, you come here, tight end you, you're going to get to the NFL, plain and simple. I, I don't know what more you can ask for. Well, that's why I want to ask about a guy like Joe Alt, who is one of the most intriguing guys that is still left on the board for Iowa. I'm reading that he could either be Robert Gallery or he has the hands and the ability to play tight end, which means that he is a Kirk Ferentz special. <laughs> so I don't know what you think about him, what you kind of view him. Is he, is he, I mean, didn't, I think he's got family that played at Iowa in the long run, was one of the best linemen to come out of the program back in the 80s. So do you see him coming to town um, as well and bringing those tight end offensive lineman skills? Yeah, he's another one that I think he's interesting, right? Because you're right. He is a tight end now. He projects as more of a tackle at college. But if you look at who Iowa's got on board already, they're kind of loaded up on the offensive line, right? So they've already got five linemen in the fold or four linemen in the fold. They're probably going to take five. What they don't have right now is a center. And they're in on a kid out of Jacksonville, Florida, that is a, a decent prospect in my mind as a center. Um, that could really kind of fill a hole for them, kind of be the next guy after Linderbaum. But all, like you said, is more of a, of a tackle prospect. But you get that flexibility. Um, and so do you take a chance on him, um, you know, if you miss out on Fedone and say, hey, maybe you go either way. We'll see which way you develop. Or do they say, you know, we really just want a center? Because um, I, don't, you know, I don't think they take six offensive linemen, right? That's just – it's a lot for um, – you know, spreading the scholarships out, but um, that's an, it's, that'll be an interesting one to follow for sure. He is a legacy kid. He does have some flexibility, definitely projects like he could be a really good tackle at the next level. So um, he'll be one to follow for sure. So you mentioned the offensive line as sort of a priority for this class. They've gone hard after offensive linemen. Has there been any other position groups or areas that you've seen them focus on and go hard after or, in the future of this class, they're going to go hard after. Yeah. So I think the, the, the staff has done a really good job in my mind of like building out this strategy. And we've seen it the last few years, really since the, the early signing period started where they try to get things wrapped up sooner and sooner in the year. Right. And so that means they focus on kind of the local products. And typically that means offensive and defensive linemen, right? That's kind of what we produce in this area is, is big guys in the middle. Um, so they've, they've really kind of focused on, on loading up there early and then kind of spreading out. And this is a year where they started off down that path, right? They got, you know, Jennings Dunker, the teammate of Isaiah Bruce over in Illinois. They get Connor Colby out of Cedar Rapids. But then, you know, they kind of fan out from there a little bit and, and they hold off a little bit on some of these commitments. They had a kid out of Wisconsin that I think they probably could have had you know, a, a few months back and that they kind of, he, he didn't make a move soon enough. And so now he's kind of fallen by the wayside because you've seen guys like Bo Stevens and Davidkoff commit here. Um, and, and they've gotten really fortunate in the terms of they were able to build those relationships early and kind of fight off some of those bigger name schools that have come calling lately. Um, so they really have done a good job of focusing on the offensive line there. But then the other area that we've seen them really attack lately has been that receiver spot. And that's been fun to watch just as a Hawkeye fan where, you know, we're great at tight ends, we're great at offensive line, we're great at defensive backs, defensive line as well. But receiver's been that one spot where it always feels like we're just kind of slapping something against the wall to see what sticks. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you not know the guys that we have in the holster already? I, I do. I remember how we got them. Um, and this seems like a, a changing philosophy. They really, I think they really like what they have in the room right now. Brandon Smith, Amir Smith-Marset. Athletes. Tyrone <laughs> Tracy, right? They've got this, this split where you've got a big guy on the outside. No, no Oliver Martin mentioned at all. Uh, We're not even going to say his name. Is he we'll even still with the program or did he leave? <laughs> this is so disappointing. Free Oliver. <laughs> he's got to, he's got to find a role, man. And that's tough to do with what he's got in front of him. Um, and so that's where it's, you know, you see them kind of trying to follow that same mold in this class, it feels like. You've got a big kid in Brody Brecht on the outside who really reminds me a lot of Brandon Smith. He's 
I think he's maybe a little bit faster than Brandon Smith is, maybe not quite as great of a jumper. He probably uh, doesn't have Smith. as big of hands as Brandon Smith. He, he probably is not wearing 8XL gloves. <laughs> uh, but he kind of fits in that same mold, right? And then they added Keegan Johnson today, who I think is really kind of in a similar mold to Amir Smith-Marset, just a pretty fast guy on the outside. Um, he's not huge. He's like 6'1", um, but can get some separation, get behind a defense. We've got another receiver that they're in on. It's kind of in a similar mold. Skylar Bell is a teammate of Deontay Vines, who was in last year's class out in Connecticut. Um, so those two are both kind of similar in my mind to Amir Smith, Marset. And then they went out and got um, Arlen Bruce out of Kansas, who really reminds me a lot of Tyrone Tracy. He's a guy that he lined up at, I'll put it in air quotes, quarterback for his high school team. Um, but they essentially just ran the ball with him all the time, which is really what we saw at Tyrone Tracy in high school, right? He's, he's a guy that played running back and receiver, both built a little bit more like a running back. He's got kind of some bulk in the lower body. So he sheds tacklers really well, but he's fast enough to kind of get downfield. And I think that's what they found in Bruce. And so yeah, I think to your point, Jerry, they, they've got some great stuff in the room right now. And they kind of like, hey, this, we've got some weapons here. We can do some things that maybe we haven't been able to do before. And so it's, it's kind of refreshing to see them go after that on the recruiting trail and try to kind of mimic that. Um, and they've got some similar guys already in the locker room with them, right? So Calvin Lockett um, is kind of similar in that he's kind of a uh, medium height guy that's fairly quick on the outside. Kayvon Matthews, kind of a similar story. He's, he's fairly quick, not super big, but Desmond Hudson's more of a Brandon Smith, taller body. And then that Deontay Vines is kind of similar to you know, your Nico Regani or Tyrone Tracy over the middle type of guy. Um, but it really feels like they've started to hit their stride. And I don't know if that's more attributable, attributable to Kelton Copeland or to Brian Ferentz or how you want to parse that out, but they've really seemed to find what they like. And now they're, they're identifying those guys on that trail and they're getting on them early and they're able to close the deal. So that's going to be fun to watch, I think, in the offense over the next couple of years. So, yeah, I think Jerry mentioned when you started talking about the receivers, what's in the room currently. But let's not forget, when Kelton Copeland got to Iowa City, there were two, two scholarship wide receivers on the roster when he got to Iowa City. And so the, the work that's gone into completely overhaul this position group has been awesome. And it's not just this position group. It's been a, a run on just incredible recruiting success the past three or four years, even not, not even just this class. So Jonah, what are your, what do you think is causing the, this run? What is, what's been the biggest change in your eyes? That's, that's really improved the recruiting by the, from the Hawkeyes. Yeah. I think the biggest thing has been that early signing period. I mean, I touched on it a little bit already. It's just, the staff has done a really, really good job of getting out in front of kids early. And they're able to lock up their classes earlier and earlier every year, it seems like. And that allows them to then cycle that forward and focus on the next class earlier and earlier. So if you guys recall, last year's group was basically wrapped up heading into the season. I think they had one, maybe two scholarship spots available heading into the football season. <clears throat> and that allowed them to really focus you know, all of the season on this year's group. And so they were able to kind of get ahead of this, build that momentum early. And, you know, really importantly, especially for this group is getting those guys on campus for those junior day visits. And so they do the, you know, kind of the barbecue thing and they bring kids into camps and they get those offers out early and they're, they're select offers, right? They're not like Nebraska's sending 400 offers and they're basically just going through a rivals database and offering everybody with a three-star next to them. They're offering kids that have been to camp that fit some, some, criteria that they have in terms of their character, their grades, you know, their skill set, and they're getting them on campus to make sure that you know, they've had a chance to see what I was all about too. It's not just, Hey, we really like you. We're going to offer you. It's we like you. Do you like us? If so, here's an offer and it's committable up until your spot's filled by somebody else. And here's how many people are very upfront, right? Here's how many people we're offering at this spot. Here's how many people we're taking at this spot. And it's first come first serve basically. Um, and so they're, they're able to really build that momentum early. And then that just snowballs every year. And we've seen this kind of steady rise in the rankings over the last, call it four years, you know, where, like I said, we were more of a mid forties, mid fifties in the national rankings 
And now, you know, coming into this year, we've been kind of in the mid to low 30s every year for the last three or four years. And now all of a sudden we find ourselves top 10. You know, obviously we're not going to finish top 10. Um, I mean, I shouldn't say we're not going to. We're not likely to finish in the top 10. But this is probably a top 25 class. Um, and so that for, for a developmental program to kind of build that depth with a bunch of classes stacked on top of each other that are all kind of sequentially better than the one before it, all of a sudden that adds up to a lot of depth that maybe you haven't had in the past, guys that are ready earlier. And so you see more guys like Tyler Goodson or Dane Belton getting playing time as freshmen. Um, and then you add in the fact that they've got that four-game rule where they can still redshirt kids and get them some four-games experience. That really, I think, snowballs in terms of you're able to sell early playing time to kids, even in spots where they might have some depth in front of them. You're able to sell that, hey, we've got options with you and keep kids you know, in your facility as opposed to transferring out because they didn't play at all as a freshman. Um, and then you're able to just focus a ton of time on the next year's class. Basically, you're ahead of, of a lot of other programs. And so um, when you're in a situation like now where kids aren't able to take visits and you've got a bunch of kids on your board that have already been to, to campus, some of them multiple times, I think that's really, really helpful um, and part of why we've seen this big role. Yeah, I mean, at a time where there's so much indecision, some familiarity, I think, goes a long way. And if you've been able to go to Iowa's campus and meet guys like Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz, Phil Parker, I think you have an appreciation for what this program is trying to do. Now, like we had mentioned, we had Rob last week. He kind of talked about how the program and what Doyle does is build these guys up, and they are, they are a proven, given product the minute that they go into the NFL. So that's why I think like a guy like Fedone or maybe even a guy, I mean, some of the other linemen and quarterbacks, there's, there's a wide opportunity to just keep having these guys shuffle in. And those are some of the most important positions that Iowa is going to continuously have year in and year out. And they'll go to the NFL as a proven guaranteed product. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you mentioned the stability there. I think that's another really big selling point at a time like this, right? You, you're not going to commit to Iowa and find out at the end of next year that your position coach isn't here anymore or that the head coach isn't here anymore. And I'm sure there are, there are other coaches out there recruiting against Iowa saying like, you know what, Ferentz is going to be gone next year. And, you know, Doyle's going to leave when Ferentz is gone and who knows what you're going to get Brian Ferentz. I just, you know, I think that the staff is really good and upfront um, in, in basically everything they sell to kids. I can't imagine them selling kids, you know, anything other than the truth in terms of what their plans are for, for Kirk and Brian and what that means for Doyle, Phil Parker, the entire staff. Um, and so some stability really helps, I think, in times like this. So I'm kind of curious about, like, the messaging here for all this because a couple years ago, everybody within Iowa athletics, Iowa football, and people that followed Iowa recruiting freaked out because Iowa did this very thing. They, they made a commitment to a kid who is not to be named, a couple kids, and they decided to go against the grain and against Kirk Ferentz's rules and go and see some other and flirt some other programs. Are, is Iowa just handling that messaging more by going out there and saying, like, this is how we're doing it, and it's for, you know, first come, first serve, Jonah? Or is this just like Iowa fans are finally starting to understand kind of what's happening, what's going on within the program? Yeah, I think they, they probably learned a little bit from that whole situation, right? And I think there was definitely some more to that situation than just flirting with other programs. Uh, I think we've seen a couple different guys now kind of get a green light from the staff to go ahead and take visits to other places. Um, but, I, but I also think that the staff is really upfront about don't commit to us until you're ready. Right. And, you know, be 100% sure you're ready. And if you have second thoughts afterwards, you know, if, if you're going to go out and you're going to take a visit, there's nothing stopping us then from taking another look at who, who was on the board and who's available now, because we can't be left holding the bag at the end of the day. And so you know, you've seen some guys think about taking other visits and then cancel them. And I'm sure that's been the messaging from the staff. Um, but you've also seen guys go ahead and, and move forward with taking visits and then come back around to Iowa. Um, so I don't know. I think, I think there's definitely been some change in, in messaging in terms of just making sure that is 100% clear. I think that they've had some changes in the uh, staff below the head man that has probably helped that out in terms of position coaches and some of the maybe uh, mixed messaging that kids were getting at that time. 
that I don't think you have anymore. Um, and again, I think they're just, they're doing a really good job at identifying guys that kind of buy into the whole sales pitch that they have. And by doing everything earlier, they're able to really build on that, you know, for a longer period of time than maybe they would have before when you're identifying a kid over the summer and you've got, you know, football season coming up and you really don't have as much time to kind of build out that relationship and kind of layer in that, that messaging to them. So you're basically saying that not only is Iowa staff being transparent with these players, it's the, they're wanting the same in return from them. They want transparency from them telling them, Hey, you know, if you're going to commit here, be fully committed, don't go looking for other stuff, you know, stuff like that. Wait on, wait to see for sure if you want to come here before actually committing. So you're basically saying they just want to have transparency from them and from the coaching staff themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that really gets back to kind of the self-selecting nature of Iowa, right? Is they're giving kids that fit the culture. Um, and, and part of that is telling kids, Hey, you can't, you know, first, we're not going to make an offer unless like we've seen something out of you that indicates that you're also interested. We're not just throwing an offer out so you can build up your offer list on rivals. And, and two, we're going to make sure that, you know, you're interested in the same things that we're interested in, in terms of building something here together. Um, and so you see, I think a little bit more camaraderie too out of the classes because everybody's kind of bought into the same story. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I would, I would think that bodes well for the locker room atmosphere, you know, for years to come. So it's probably fair to say that Iowa is to match.com what Nebraska is to Tinder. <laughs> that. Uh, you know, I'm not terribly familiar with Tinder, given my my uh, married status with three kids. Are you familiar to Match.com? <laughs> you know, I, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, None of us on this call are, but I we all they, know what it is. Right. It's the swipe rightification of recruiting. That's all Nebraska and these in Minnesota. Minnesota. What did Minnesota offers 500 scholarships a year? It's insane. Champ, they just offered you one. I mean, yeah, I just got a letter in the mail the other day. I uh, twinkle toe lineman, baby. I'm obsessed. I still got some size. I'm fucking old, but it's okay. Isn't their left tackle like 27 years old? He's been there around for a while. The kid that's like oh, seven yes. foot, 400 pounds. Yeah, I think yep. he's yeah he's who like, lines up offsides every single time. <laughs> yeah, because if he lined up on the line, his gut would be hanging over the line of scrimmage, and they would be calling him for false starts every time. All right, Jonah, we've peppered you with questions. I have a feeling you might have some questions for us, so I'll let, flip the script. Do you have any questions for us that you want to ask? Yeah, I, I, so I'll, I'll flip one of the questions back on you, and I assume you're going to give me the same question here, but I, I'm just curious from the, the list of guys that we have committed so far, and, you know, I don't expect you to have the, the list mem memorized, but is there anybody that you, any of you guys are terribly excited about um, in terms of the guys that we already have on the board? Jerry, you can't say Deuce Hogan. He committed. I was about to say, am I allowed to just talk about Deuce Hogan for the next 30 minutes? <laughs> um, it's the easy way out, but I'm going to take David Davidkoff because everything that I was reading about what his high school coaches were saying, it basically sounds like we're getting a junior version of Tristan Works. Being super athletic, he plays rugby, which is a completely different second sport than Iowa linemen typically play, uh, but it works just as well as wrestling does, in my opinion. And to just have just to backfill that position, he might he's probably not going to see the field next year, but to at least have another guy in the wing with that uber athleticism with a rugby background as an offensive lineman that's intriguing as hell to me. And I it, it's just great to see it. Also, the fact that he committed Iowa over the traditional blue bloods in the Big Ten is also great to see. Definitely. I'm I'm going to kind of go different than your question here. I'm going to go with the transfer. I'm going to go with Coy Cronk. I mean, when is the last time we got a guy at Iowa that can transfer in and be a legit starter on an offensive line day one? It was supposed to be Oliver Martin. <laughs> I mean, yes, but he didn't do it. So now it's going to be Coy. I mean, this guy is going to step right in to one of the tackle positions, most likely right tackle with a lyric staying at left tackle. He's going to be a guy that you can start instantly and not miss a beat. I mean, the guy has started, I think, 41 consecutive games for Indiana. Now has come over to be a Hawkeye starter. I love that. I love that. That that's what now 
Brian and Kirk Ferentz are doing. They're looking at the transfer portals or trying to get guys in here that can help right away that maybe wanted to leave another program. So that's, that's my answer. I know he's not a recruit from this class per se, but that's who I'm going to go with. My, my favorite is clearly Justice, Justice Sullivan. The fact that his dad was a cyclone and he said there's no better place to play than in Iowa – that dude right there, I mean, you had me at hello. <laughs> he, he's a hell of an athlete, too. That, that doesn't hurt. Well, so, okay, that's a great question. Then I'm going to flip it with, with you real quick. Do you see him projecting out as a linebacker, or is there another position that he could play, being that he's a quote-unquote athlete? Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. You know, with more of the four-two-five stuff that Bill's been doing. Um, and Cash. Right, right. And, and we saw a little bit less of that last year, but – they've shown some willingness to kind of go with more pure edge rushers. And, you know, Joe Evans kind of had that role last year. We thought maybe that we'd get a little bit of that um, out of a couple other guys as well. But he's somebody that, to me, would be really great in kind of a pure edge rush role. I don't know that we ever see Phil fully transition to having guys be like, you know, hybrid 3-4-4-3 guys where they're, you know, basically just there to, to line up and rush the passer. But he's a guy that I think could do that if they chose to go that route. So that'll be kind of fun to watch. You got any other questions for us, John? I do. I have a, a related question. So that was, what, who's your favorite player? Who is, what's your favorite name in this class? You've got some really great names. And it's okay if, if your answer is the same for both of these, D.C. <laughs> it is a, a very low-hanging fruit to just get the guy who literally has my name twice as his name. Uh, but I will take – I'll pick somebody different. So if you guys have somebody else, I'm going through this list here of commits. And there's only one clear winner. I mean, there, is it, there's definitely a clear winner, but you can go for sure. All right, my clear winner is Arland Bruce the fifth. <laughs> He's the fourth, <laughs> not the fifth. Is that what IV means in Roman IV is fourth. <laughs> He is five. Nice job, Jerome. <laughs> Fucked up his name. <laughs> well, Arlen Bruce, the fifth, could be a hell of an Hawkeye player one day. There's one clear answer for me, and it's the guy with the same last name as mine, and it's Keegan Johnson. He might be the best one out of this class, too. So I'll go back to your original question, Jonah, and I will go with Keegan Johnson as my favorite guy in this class, and he has the best name, quality last name, can't beat Johnson last name. Just switching everything. Yeah, why not? I'll, I'll pull a you this week. You you like to switch things up. I'm I'm sure by the end of this question, you'll pick another name that you like better. <laughs> I mean, Jennings Dunker is kind of fun too. I mean, there, both, there's some great names that's on a pretty here. Solid name too. Isn't there a Brady Brechtel or something like that? Brody, Brody Brecht. Brecht. Yeah. Brody, yeah. Dude, he looks like a Brody too. The fact that he's from Ankeny is weird. So I'm going to go with Arlen Bruce, not because he's the fourth or fifth if you can't read Roman numerals like Jer, <laughs> but because if you, I'm picturing in my head I Gus Johnson on a Saturday, big Fox, big noon Saturday game saying Arlen Bruce, you know, to the house. It just, in the Gus Johnson voice, sounds like it would be the coolest. Are you serious? Exactly. It would be nice if we can get some more Gus Johnson games. That would be lovely. Well, with all this recruiting, champ, we're going yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, number six nationally. Who knows? We might finish in the top ten by the end of this class. All right. Any other questions for, for uh, Jonah before we let him, let him hop? Just in terms of the whole class, because we always talk about Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz. What do you think – who do you think has had more influence the last few years in getting these top-end recruits? Is it Brian coming in in the Kirk's ear and being like, you know, you have to change the way you do things? Or was it Kirk realizing it for himself? You know, sometimes we're going to have to change. We're going to have to go out and get guys early. We're going to have to change the way we do things. What do you think in terms of the overall recruiting aspect the last, let's say, three or four years? Who has had a bigger impact? I am uh, going to stay on brand here and I'm going to pull a Jerry and just say that it, it, it can't, I don't think you can attribute it really to either one. I think it's a combination of both of those guys, but you've also got to give a lot of credit to the rest of the staff around them. So I think, you know, number one, we've mentioned already kind of the stability factor with Kirk, the approach that he's always had in terms of just being kind of straightforward and honest and the family atmosphere he's tried to build. 
in a very professional setting, I think really resonates, particularly right now. I think that Brian has definitely breathed some fresh air into the whole program in terms of approaches to a number of things, including recruiting. But then on the recruiting front, you've also got to give a lot of credit to guys like Tyler Barnes, Seth Wallace, uh, Kelvin Bell obviously has done a fantastic job with that pipeline into Indianapolis. Um, and then obviously what we're seeing right now with receivers and, and, you know, some of the stuff we're hearing out of some of these guys um, in terms of what they're buying into from Kelton Copeland, I think you got to give some credit there as well. And, and that's not, I mean, you, you, I think across the board, all of the position coaches are doing a fantastic job um, on the trail and getting us into some recruiting hotbeds that maybe we haven't been in before. And the fact that they've been really uh, taking advantage of this early signing period to go out and kind of build that base in the Midwest and then try to build inroads in places we haven't been in a long time, right? We haven't had a ton of guys from Florida. We haven't had a ton of guys from Texas. We've never really been in Georgia. And all of a sudden, you know, we're talking about basically three, four straight classes having guys from, you know, each of those, those states. Um, and, you know, we're, we're looking at guys kind of all over the place, our quarterback recruiting, with, with Ken O'Keefe, you know, all the, the Ken O'Keefe offense jokes aside, um, as a quarterback's coach, you know, he's been really good at going basically across the entire country and finding his guy. Um, and so they've got a kid from Indianapolis right now that they're kind of at the top of the board in terms of an offer still outstanding, but they've got, you know, two other guys that are after there, one from Nebraska and the other one's from down in New Orleans, right? And so you know, the class before him from Texas, a guy from Colorado, uh, California. It's been really kind of interesting to see a program that historically has been based out of nothing but like Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, with maybe some Florida sprinkled in here and there, some New Jersey, uh, Maryland stuff every once in a while, to really building that out to um, take advantage of kind of what they have right now from the recruiting calendar and getting guys on campus early, getting them committed early and focusing their efforts on those skill position guys in those hotbeds um, and expanding beyond just Florida and Texas and into, like I said, Georgia and that national footprint for certain positions. So on that, since it seems to be a deeper, deeper than just Brian or Kirk type of thing when it comes to recruiting specifically, I would, typically has very good uh, uh, maintaining coaching staffs. No, not really much turnover unless there's other issues that happen. Not many guys leave the program for new for new jobs, things like that. But with this enhancement in recruiting, should Iowa fans be worried about any of these assistants uh, getting new job offers elsewhere? That's a tough one. Uh, there's a couple of guys I think are eventually going to be gone, right? It's just a matter of, of when, and um, that'll be that'll be really interesting to watch play out because I think it's kind of this question of who who leaves first. Does Kirk retire, and then you see wholesale changes to the staff when guys don't want to sit through a transition, or do you see offers come for some of these guys, you know, like next year, the year after, um, and some of them are going to be getting pretty close, right? Seth Wallace is a guy that I think is probably going to have some offers pretty soon. Um, yeah, I think Kelvin Bell's fairly entrenched, but he's another guy that's just been crushing it on the recruiting trail, and he's probably going to have some some suitors calling him at some point. Um, Derek Foster is another guy that he's done really well in terms of kind of building that inroads, like I said, into the south in Georgia. Um, he's the, the guy down in Tampa right now. Um, and so you start – having some real success there, especially if you see Tyler Goodson do really well. Um, you know, maybe he gets some, some additional offers. He's a guy kind of from the South, right? So maybe he wants to get back down there eventually. So um, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see which one kind of comes first. Do they, do those guys take off or do they kind of hold on through the end of the, the Kirk Ferentz era? And then, you know, what happens in a transition? Does Brian build out his own staff or does he try to keep as much continuity and kind of, follow the company line in terms of stability there. JP, before we let you go, where do you reside? In IC. <laughs> where are you originally from? Uh, Iowa. 
Great. That's what I was hoping you'd say. Now, you and I have talked about this before, and I like to ask every single guest that we have on here that is from the great state of Iowa, why is it that the three of us and some other friends of ours that grew up in like the Chicagoland area that let's just call us out of towners, the out of towner Iowa fan hold Iowa to a standard that doesn't seem to be at the same level as those that are from and live and reside in Iowa. Why do you think that is? I know that you kind of lean more towards my way, but there just seems to be times when we're okay with just winning eight games when there's another select few of us that are really hoping for 10, 11 wins and to compete with Wisconsin, go to the Big Ten Championship, own the West, yada, yada. Are you saying that out-of-towners hold Iowa to a higher standard or Iowans hold Iowa to a higher standard? I am saying that out-of-towners seem to hold Iowa to a higher standard or when maybe it's an expectation Or are we wrong? I I think the biggest thing is just most Iowans have been here and been Iowa fans their entire lives. And so they've seen, one, how few people there are here and how difficult it is to get people here. And the fact that we split the state with Iowa State is, you know, historically bad. That doesn't seem to be true with what you just told us for the last half hour. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's true. We've taken 80% of the – the, the top talent in the class here. So, you know, we don't, we haven't been sharing very well with Iowa state, but we do have to share the state with them. Right. And so like, we're not able to do what Nebraska was able to do in the, the early nineties. We're not able to bend some rules and then add on a million walk-ons from the state in kids that would have had scholarship offers elsewhere um, because they'll, they'll take those offers to Iowa state or, or Nebraska in this class. Um, so I think, I think you've got a little bit different perspective as a native just in terms of how difficult it can be here. And we've seen how bad it can get. And, you know, I, obviously I'm more of an apologist, right? And especially when it comes to basketball, we've seen just how terrible things can be when you make a, a bad coaching decision. And I think, you know, for me in particular, that just has provided a little bit more leeway to just about anybody that's going to be a coach of any of Iowa's programs. And I would, I would okay. challenge you just briefly on your, your thesis that um, your circle of friends is largely people outside of uh, the state because your boy Z is from my neck of the woods. So we grew up like 10 minutes apart. <laughs> Yeah, and you guys have very similar opinions. So. <laughs> this is why we knew we kind of set this up, Jerry and I were talking about this beforehand, because we do fight with Z and fight's a strong word, but we do debate this with Z quite often. And so we just liked, we feel like we're always the out, of the outside of opinion because we didn't grow up in Iowa. We weren't raised Iowa fans. So we, we, we have a different upbringing, different background where we're coming from, and we just find it interesting. I think you guys probably have a little bit more of an NFL background too, right? You guys grew up Bears fans first and foremost. Mm. So I think there's oh, – You think that helps our situation? No, I, well, I think <laughs> he means we didn't have a college that, team to root for, like Northwestern and no, Illinois. I, think, I just think anything. that that shapes your opinion of, of how disposable coaches are, right? If, if an NFL coach isn't performing, you get his ass out of there and you find somebody who can't. And you can cycle through that pretty frequently. Um, you're not building a program. You might have to build some culture, right? But it's not quite the same as having to go through a four-year recruiting cycle to even get your guys on the field and and totally destroy a program if that goes wrong over the course of four years um, to the point where it's just impossible to get back to where you were within a decade. Um, so I think there's a, just a little bit different – you have a different perspective given, you know, an NFL tilt versus – growing up primarily college football fan in a state such as Iowa. See, I don't know if that's necessarily true because I, there's no bigger Homer. I don't think on the internet right now that, especially when it comes to Brian Ferentz than, than me and, and this show, we've kind of seen it this year where I expect Iowa to start off the season winning 10 games instead of just the, the standard eight. 
And then when Iowa loses in a fashion, like I'm not demanding Kirk's head by any means. I don't want that at all. I love Kirk Ferentz. I love Brian Ferentz. But I also want to hold him to that 10-win standard instead of just the eight. Well, it's because – and to add to that, Jared, it's be, and I don't, I'm with you on that. I don't want to see Kirk – even if they don't win 10 games every year, I don't want to see Kirk fired. It's the fact that we see year in and year out guys with two stars, three stars recruits get turned into NFL prospects get into and I think we're starting to see that right that recruiting philosophy is changing they're, they're targeting better athletes and I think they're marketing themselves in a different light to turn to these kids who a they need to fit the Iowa uh they fit the Iowa Mike mold but they also might be a little bit of a better athlete that's easier to mold into a more of them to mold into a more competitive team year in and year out yeah I I'm right there with you I think you're Correct, and I guess we're just going to hope to see this. Uh, I will win 10 or 11 games for the next five years <laughs> and kick Wisconsin's ass. I think that would make us all happy. That's really what we all want is just to beat Wisconsin consistency, consistently and go to, to the title. Absolutely. All right, Jonah. Well, they, same. I think that's yeah, what we, all, we all do that and want that too. Very, very much so. JP, thank you for joining us, talking a little recruiting. Thanks, Jonah. Up, up to speed and everything going on. You guys can follow him at JP in I C B. I don't JP, JP. What's your Twitter handle? Un, in JP in I C underscore B H G P. There you go. You hear from the man himself. You guys can read him at Blackheart Gold Pants. Thanks again, JP. We'll talk to you soon. Later. Thanks, guys. Overreaction that. Trick or treat, Iowa City! If you don't love it, leave it. USA, number one.